the person giving the direction has a vision in mind, but that vision isn't a finished polished product. And so there's going to be bumps along the road to get to that finished pro product. And a lot of people think you just kind of start and go and that's, that's not it. There's always challenges and negotiations and revisions and things like that. Hello innovators, I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Kelly Lubelai. She is the BIM program manager at Cupertino Electric. Kelly has been teaching and implementing VDC technology for the last 10 years and is truly passionate about inspiring others to explore the world of VDC. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I always like to get people's backstory. How'd you get started into the industry? Oh man, I, um, <laughs> I took a couple of drafting classes in high school and I really enjoyed them, but took a different direction when I first uh, got out of high school and uh, later came back and took an AutoCAD class at the local community college. And it just sort of took off from there and uh, went from being a drafter to um, learning Revit a little bit ahead of, the, ahead of the curve and moving into BIM management and just kind of continuing to to help people with whatever technology they wanted to bring to their workforce. Yeah. Well, what part of drafting kind of gripped you? Um, I think mostly it's the creating something from nothing. I've always enjoyed that very first part where you're starting with a completely blank, whether it's piece, piece of paper or screen or whatever it is, mm -hmm. and it just slowly starts to become something. And that, that has always fascinated me um, in that being able to, to truly create something from nothing. Yeah. Well, what's the, the biggest challenge on that front that the people may overlook? <laughs> um, that it doesn't always come together perfectly. Uh, especially when you're working typically, you know, most of us that work in this industry, whether it's on the construction side or the design side, very few of us are the ones that are, are driving the boat. Um, and so we're taking direction from someone else and, the person giving the direction has a vision in mind, but that vision isn't a finished polished product. And so there's going to be bumps along the road to get to that finished pro product. And a lot of people think you just kind of start and go and that's, that's not it. There's always challenges and negotiations and revisions and things like that. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> can't have your way right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially on the construction side. I mean, that's one of the things that uh, people that make that transition from the design side to the construction side, I was like, just so you know, like rework is just part of what we do. Like you're going to change this multiple times over and it's not because you did a bad job. It's just part of what we do to get it from the, the concept or the design that was given to us to something that's constructible and, and able to be installed. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So that is a, it's a good segue into bringing the, the technology into the field. How should people really think about that, that process of, of technology and innovation coming into the field? Um, ooh, that's a big question, but it's, it's definitely something you always want to really sit down and plan first. Cause a lot of times we, we get really excited. We see this tool that we know is going to provide a lot of benefit to our end users that it's meant for. And so we just want to get it in their hands and get them going and get them to be as excited as we are. But um, unfortunately, that's, that's not what makes those tools a success. Mm -hmm. So having a good strategy and having a, um, a, a set of standards in place, whether it's the type of platform that has a template 
or whether it's one that just you kind of create some basic rules around how you enter the data or just the process overall. You want to give people some boundaries to work within because the less decisions they feel like they have to make when they're actually out there doing it, the easier it feels to them and lets it, them sort of flow through that process. So it becomes much larger than just, I buy a tool, I hand the tool to, that, to people that are going to use it. And that means anything from you know, software, hardware, tools, any of those things, there really has to be a, a plan for getting those from the purchasing out into the field and into practical use. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. That is a, a really a, a big pet peeve of mine that people don't take the time on the front side to plan it out and think through it. And they just are like, oh, we, we're bringing on software XYZ and it's just going to magically solve all. Yeah, I mean, right some, of my, <laughs> some of my favorite platforms are ones that are very, they're, they're super easy. You can just type in whatever you want. And the, the, the users will start and be like, oh yeah, this is great, but it doesn't take but a couple of weeks. And everybody, I hate this tool. I can't stand using this tool. And I'm like, all right, guys, let's, let's sit down and talk about what's going on. And what I find out is that the person or, or the group that implemented the tool, because it was so easy, they thought, oh, well, we can just go. Mm -hmm. And they just, you know, loaded up the platform on the hardware and, and handed it out to the field and said, here you go, do this. Uh, but then trying to find the data that they entered later, trying to get analytics out of that data, those types of things become extremely difficult because when everybody's typing it in by hand, you know, one person's going to type in Cupertino Electric, another person's going to type in Cupertino Electric Inc., another person's going to type in CEI. And then when you go back to sort through those, well, those are all different data. And so they all come back different. And so mm -hmm. doing things as simple as uh, pre-entering the companies that are on the project lets people select from a dropdown so they know, oh, I'm going to pick CEI every time. I don't need to type out Cupertino or Cupertino Electric or whatever, it really helps make it a lot easier for them to enter. Yeah, it's easy. I can just type it in. But what if I make it so even easier where I'm just picking from a list? And then the people that are looking at it later to sort through it or reference back to it, they know that it's all nice and standardized. They don't have to go look for five different options that all mean the same thing. Yeah. How on, on the surface, it, it it's almost counterintuitive because it, it seems if you take so much time on the, the front side to really just sit and, and roll it out. You're not going to get that ROI that, that people are, are really looking for. And, you know, everything's measured against. Uh, but if you don't take the time on the front side, you're really probably not going to see it. And it's probably going to fail. So how yeah. do you encourage people? No, you, this is actually better long-term, but you have to put your, your long-term view on it. Right. And so that's that a discussion. Fix. Yeah, that's a discussion that I would typically take to my decision makers and purchasers, right? The, the end users are going to, they're going to do what they're told to do for the most part. You know, some are going to rail against it. Some are going to be kind of in and out. Some are going to buy in fully right away. But when, when we're starting out with something like that, that's a, unfortunately, it's really a sales pitch that you have to work with your, your decision makers at that project and that corporate level to say, okay, look, um, implementation or development time up front once we purchase it can take this amount of time but comparing it to the learning curve for the users out in the field is where you can really show them the difference in the return on investment mm -hmm. if i can make the learning curve non-existent or close to non-existent then they're a lot more likely to say okay spend you know a month or two months sitting down 
and, and writing out some guidelines and doing a little bit of training as opposed to I'm saying, well, I can just throw it at them, but you're not going to like the results because it's not what you saw in the demonstration of that tool, mm -hmm. right? Because that tool's maximum effectiveness means that we have these things in place. So if we don't, you're going to get frustrated, they're going to get frustrated, and that learning curve is going to go way up. And, and that's just as big, if not more, of a loss on that ROI than if we take the time to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good yeah. level setting. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think too that that learning curve part really hits a lot of leadership people. They really understand. I mean, ev everything has a learning curve. Sure. Um, but anything you can do to minimize a learning curve, they are very interested in. Mm -hmm. um, so even if you can balance it out, right, it doesn't have to become a higher return on investment to reduce the learning curve. But if you can say, look, I'm going to bring the learning curve down, but pull this up, and so my ROI stays the same, but but it's going to be way easier for those guys out in the field to start doing this. They're sold. Anything we can do to make it easier for their inst installers or their their purchasers or you know whoever their end users are, they're they're pretty sold on it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really a really key point to make sure that you can uh, demonstrate when you you're getting ready to do implementation. Applied Software believes that heroes are built. The men and women of construction are those heroes. In an effort to honor the dedicated workers who build our infrastructure and future. Applied Software is seeking to shine a spotlight on construction by providing lunch to Lucky Crews as part of Food Truck Fridays. Want your company spotlighted? Enter to win lunch on Applied by following three easy steps. Step one, post a picture of you and your crew on LinkedIn. Step two, tag Applied Software in your post. Step three, use the hashtag HeroesAreBuilt your crew just might be selected to be part of Food Truck Fridays. Yeah, makes total sense. How do you need to change your approach and maybe even the words that you're using based on the, the tool and the, the persona that you are talking to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, implementation is, or you know, any, any type of you know, introduction of a technology is going to be a large undertaking, whether it feels like it or not. And there's kind of two components to it. So like the two main personas that you have to consider for a successful implementation are your executive leadership and your end users. Mm -hmm. And they have very different perspectives when looking at it. The end users are who we tend to think about as a person who's used to, to implementing technology. I see what this tool does for the everyday user. I recognize the benefit. I see the return on investment. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're interested in. What's going to make my life easier? And we know pretty in intuitively how to talk to them. Uh, on the other side, on that executive leadership, your C-suite, your VPs that you're talking to about the purchasing, the implementing, the you know switching from one tool to another, um, the, the only part of that conversation that they're still interested in that you may have had with those end users is the ROI. Of course, they want to know the ROI. They're interested in the dollars and cents. Sure. But they also have to understand the additional value that it's bringing to the company. And so sometimes the ROI that we're talking about, it's a non-monetary ROI. Look, this is going to make your end users feel so much better about doing this particular task. Right now, maybe they hate it. Uh, this isn't maybe going to make them happy about doing it, but it's going to make them hate it less. So if people are going from taking 20 minutes to do this task that they hate down to 10 minutes to do a task and it feels less painful, you're going to have a lot happier people feeling less pain doing that task 
and less time, that's another 10 minutes they can spend elsewhere, which 10 minutes is not a lot for one person, but depending upon the size of your company, you multiply that out over people, that's an extra, you know, 100 feet of conduit installed every day. That's an extra, you know, 100 feet of pipe or ductwork mm -hmm. or whatever that gets installed as well. And so it does start to add up. So being able to show both sides of those is definitely one of the challenges of being able to, to come in and um, both get the buy-off to bring in the technology and then implement it is, is two very, very different conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd love to get your insight on this. One of the kind of problems that I, I see in, in construction, and I, I think this is applicable throughout all software, but prevalent in construction is people get kind of stuck on one selling point and then just hammer that talking point to every single person that they're talking to throughout the company. And they don't change it and tailor what they're saying to the different stakeholders. So like you were saying that, you know, C-suite, they're going to be interested in an in ROI, but as you talk to the uh, modeler, they're going to have a very different view and, and lens on the, whatever tool and software that's being right. implemented versus the person that is installing it out in the field. And if we get stuck on, on one or the other, people are like, okay, well, I get why it's good for that person, but I'm just why left over here having to take on all this extra work to make that person's job easier. And that might not be the case in reality. Right. And that's, that's definitely a challenge that comes in with, with any new technology implementation is, you know, typically as someone who sees the whole tech stack, we can understand that a one particular part that we're bringing in fills a void that helps the overall process. So the overall life cycle in the work may be more efficient. It may give us greater data. Um, it may be at a lower price point than it was before. But for the person who is working in one particular section of that process, it may be, oh, well, you are going to have to enter more data. You're going to have to spend more time modeling this information, or you're going to have to spend more time typing this in, uh, you know, whatever that is, it's, they're, they're the hardest sell for mm -hmm. sure. Um, because, you know, if I have, if I have to ask somebody who does modeling, I say, okay, I know you were doing this before and you just placed the component and it showed in three dimensions and you walked away. But now what I want you to do is I want you to enter data X, Y, and Z. They're going to say, well, that takes time. And every single one of those I do, it takes us more time. Why do I need that? Well, a fairly easy sell is, well, the guys out in the field want it. Cause we all know that we do the things for the guys out in the field that are doing the install. But not all data is for them either. Sometimes the data is for the project managers to better understand uh, the, um, the scheduling of, of when things are going to get installed and so they can plan. Sometimes it's information for purchasing, which especially is abstract for both the installers and the modelers to understand. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times it is sitting down and explaining like, look, I, I get this is more work for you. Um, and this it's unfortunately, it's a requirement. It's, it's something you're, you're going to have to do. But what it does is in the background, it provides this information, this information, this information for these people over here. Mm -hmm. And it makes that part of the process easier. Uh, we don't always get buy-in right away, but what we do typically is we try and find people that are a little bit more uh, interested in that type of process. So a lot of stuff that we focus on right now is really that interconnectedness of tools. Um, so we have some, some people that are really interested in that type of stuff. We go to them as our first kind of test or pilot project subjects and say, hey, I have this tool. 
it's going to be a little bit more work for you, but if you do this, you can see how it populates over here and helps out the purchasing department. You can see how it populates over here and helps out inventory. And you can see how it goes off to our prefab department and helps them out. You know, would you be willing to do this? And, you know, typically we have a couple in that group that are like, yeah, sign me up. That sounds really awesome. Mm -hmm. And once they do it, they can help us one, make it a little bit easier for everybody else. And two, then everybody, the other people will see them doing it and recognize, okay, maybe it's not so bad. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's kind of the best we get. I mean, not everybody's always going to be, you know, all in hooray and excited, sure. but they can see that, you know, we're not asking them to change the world and do things entirely different than what they're used to. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I can, I can type in a little bit more than what I typed in before. So, and they, they, they kind of get used to it from there and, and it slowly gets worked in for everybody. Yeah. Okay. So not everybody, uh, as you said, is singing that. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray. Yay. New processes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, most people don't like change <laughs> and you're going to get that inevitable pushback, especially if you, you start messing with people's workflow and, and, you know, the, the glorious phrase in construction, well, this is the way we've always done it. <laughs> Trying to overcome that hurdle. How do you seek to get buy-in from that, uh, segment of the industry that is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to change that. I don't see the benefit of changing. Yeah, that's, um, that's always an interesting conversation to have. And I have found that it, it kind of depends on not necessarily even the position, but the person individually, you kind of have to get to know those people to understand why they're struggling with adopting something. Um, a lot of times it comes down to, you guys have the same goal. You know, I want to make things easier for everybody. And um, maybe a, a superintendent I'm working with, hey, we're going to do this on your project. It's not, it's not a lot for you guys. I just need, I need a couple of things here. Well, we're already doing this. It's working well. Why would you want us to change and do this? I don't want my guys doing more work. They're already really busy. I mm -hmm. totally understand. And when you spend some time with them, you get to understand like a lot of times they do have the same goal. They want to make it faster, more efficient, easier for everybody else too. But their perspective on what that means is a little bit different than yours. And so trying to find different ways to explain it is always where I usually start, which is, you know, how is it going to benefit your guys out in the field? If they take a little bit of time here, are they going to save time later, right? Uh, one of my favorite ones is let's have our general foreman come in and sit down with our modelers and look at what they're modeling, not while they're modeling every little bit, but just kind of check and fly through it and see that they're happy with it. So that when they go out to install it on the field and they look at the drawings, they don't decide, oh, I want to route it in a different way because it makes more sense to me from a constructability standpoint. But they've already made that decision before those drawings have gone out because having that conversation up front, the modeler can draw it once. Whereas if they wait and have that conversation later, it be now becomes an as-built and the modeler has to move it and we end up doing double work, right? And so it's a matter of getting the conversations in the right order. It's a matter of them understanding, hey, I know you guys are busy here and we're busy here. So if we can work out a way to do this, it actually eliminates overall cost on the project. So that means we get a larger you know, our profits higher on the project bonus for you. My modelers are happy because they're just doing less rework. You know, how, what, how does that sound? Uh, you know, it's, it's finding those sort of ends and what's, what's going to be a priority for them and what means better and what means faster and what means easier to them. Uh, 
And sometimes that doesn't always work, um, in which case you work on getting buy-in from management. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I love the, the connection that you're trying to make there between the, the, the people on, on involved in, in the project, but not only that, uh, well, let me back up. Have you heard of the concept of reverse mentoring? Yes. So I, yes. I think it's a, it's, I think it's a pretty cool concept and, uh, process. You're kind of doing it a little bit there with bringing in the, the field guys and coming in early and working on the, the tech and in, in the model and all that stuff. Um, uh, I think be it by able to make the, the, the two sides, if you will, <laughs> humanizing <laughs> them <laughs> to, with each other, you're able to break down those silos and kind of the, the barriers that exist and people are then able to see it more easily yeah, from the other person's vantage point. Yeah. When you take people that are on two different sides of, of a piece of technology, especially, and get them together, they can start to see the other person's perspective when they have more conversations around it. And so, you know, maybe the person that's operating the technology has a very particular perspective that's typically technology centric. And when they're working with somebody for who's taking the deliverable from that technology, they're typically not technology oriented, right? They're working out in the field, they're working in a prefab shop, they're working in a modular facility, that type of thing. And so their, their background, their experience, their exposure to these things is extremely different. Mm -hmm. And getting them to, to kind of team up and work together gives each person a better perspective in what the other person's role is like. And it's almost cross-training. Um, where it definitely gives each a little bit better understanding. And so then that way, when they move forward onto future projects, they each carry a little bit of that forward to, to be able to make better decisions based not only on their own perspective, but the perspective of the other uh, user who may be involved as well. Um, mm -hmm. And we find that really, really helpful for uh, just kind of continuing to advance how the technology helps the people that are doing or, or benefiting from the technology in most cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... So what does change management then really look like to you in, in practice? <laughs> um, to me, change management is um, a part of life. It's, I know that we, you know, we have very specific definitions that we use around it, especially when it comes to things like change orders and um, design requests and things like that. Um, but when it comes to using technology, it should be in constant change. And it doesn't mean that you're always messing with everything, right? Changing settings, changing standards, things like that. But they also shouldn't be something that you set up once and then just walk away and consider that it's done and, and never revisit it. We want to get a process established, get a standard or a template or you know a, a flow that's needed for that technology in place, get the users working within that set that we've given them, and once they've tested those, you know, use the standard, use the templates, use the, the workflow that we've given them in the format that it's given, come back and say, okay, now did that work well? What, what went especially well? What was especially troublesome? And, come, and, you know, what do you think would help make improvements? And then come back and revise it, make a couple of changes here and there, uh, and then give it back to them and say, okay, now here's version number two. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so then we can say, you know, here's, here's version number two. Let's do the same thing. Let's try this. 
implement it with the changes, but let's stick with it and go through. And it becomes this cycle of uh, update, feedback, update, feedback. And so then that way we're, we're getting a chance to actually try it the way it's intended to be used by the, the implementer or the integrator mm -hmm. uh, and giving those a, a solid attempt to, to adjust a little bit, right? Because we also, we hate change. I get it. It takes a couple of ways, a couple of tries to do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, so we said, you know, give it a good try doing it the new way. And once you've done that, then say, okay, did it really suck? Or did you just not want to do it? How did it, how did it feel after you tried it the way that it was set up? Did it, did it get better? Did it get worse? Was it just awful? And from there start to make a few tweaks and say, okay, here's some tweaks. Let's do it again, but do it the way that it's laid out. And, and those types of changes really find that, that sort of sweet spot, that best efficiency um, and settings that help everybody with what they need, but also keep as true to the technology that you're using as possible. Hey, innovators, is there a way to prepare your company for successful implementation of technological innovation? After over 115 episodes, talking with some of the best minds in the construction industry, the answer is a resounding yes. There are building blocks that you can put into place that will form the foundation for your company to successfully implement technology. I have compiled my thoughts from those conversations into a new ebook simply titled Foundational Building Blocks for Successful Tech Adoption. You can download the ebook for free at our website, bridgingthegappod.com. After you have, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Yeah, I, I like the the iterative approach that you have there yes. and the, the feedback loop is yeah. critical <laughs> to yeah, be able to adjust. Yeah. I mean, and you can't you can constantly make changes or you can leave it static, but the challenge is you, you really have to give it some time to really let people work with it and, and give it a good try the way that it's set up. And then say, okay, now that you tried it, tell me, tell me what you thought about it, honestly. Like. Were there parts of it that we just really missed the mark on? Because if there are, there are. We, you know, nobody's perfect. Let's see how we can tweak those. What parts did you, you know, you hated at first, but now you love? Which parts did you love at first, but now you hate? You know, what, what, what's out there? And let's talk about those and see what we can do to, to just keep getting closer. And each year it should be, you know, the first year's a lot. Getting implemented the first time around, it's a massive lift. But the second, the, you know, the second time around that feedback loop, it's a little bit less and the third time is less. And pretty soon, about three or four years in, it's a very small amount that you're actually having to go back and make those tweaks and do that little bit of training. Mm -hmm. And then those tools start to serve themselves for as long as they're not obsolete. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I also want to kind of circle back and, and maybe put a period on our, our conversation before, uh, <laughs> uh, because I take heat on this sometimes when, when I talk about getting connections that you're not going to have that kumbaya moment. And uh, I don't think that that should be the goal in creating those connections and relationships. I think that the goal is, is not agreement, but just understanding. And that is a very important distinction. You, you can, the field guy can see from the the technology vantage point and, and vice versa. And they can still walk away going, that person is, you know, uh, they're an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> but absolutely. if they can understand why they're doing it, they can go, I don't agree with it, but I get it. And that just helps 
I think on the frustration side of things more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, it is not make everyone happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as I would love to make everyone happy (laughs) when you have to pick, you know, one setting or two or three choices, not Mm -hmm. everyone's going to be happy, especially in a company, you know, the size of, of Cupertino. Uh, there's going to be some people that that don't think that that's the best way to to organize our conduit or to um, tag our feeders or you know whatever it is. There, there's always going to be some debate around that. But what we do is we we want to make sure it's something that we can work with. Okay, this may not be your preferred way of seeing this, but can you work with this? And once people everybody learns to start seeing things the same way and start getting it, okay, if, if I see this the same way, whether I'm on a project here or a project there, I still know it's always going to be consistent and I can get the same data. I can always get this tool. I can get consistency and I can, I know that what's expected is what's going to be there. That reliability is to me more, more helpful to any user than that exactly the way I want it, Mm -hmm. which I mean, my job is working in, in integrations and implementations, so I always live in gray area and I have to be comfortable with it at a certain level, but I like to think that most users are going to adapt to that. Like, I know it's not going to be perfect, but I can work with this. Okay, mm-hmm. I can work with this. Um, and, you know, we, ha- we have some struggles with that, but we always try and work through it. And the bigger we get, the harder it is because you have more and more voices that want to see things differently. Um, but we work to try and bring everybody together to make sure that they have at a bare minimum, what they need to get their job done. And mm-hmm. that's what any technology should do is give them what they need to get it done and try and do it in an efficient way. Maybe mm-hmm. not the way that they see as the most efficient, but an efficient way. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that it's, it's critical to give time and space to let people kind of voice their, their thoughts and opinions, but it's also equally critical to know when that time is up and when it's time to get on board yeah, <laughs> and, some, some tough talk. And, and there are some things where you need to have uh, a decision maker, somebody who is, you know, at a leadership level, that's going to say, okay, we, we've heard all the voices. We know that, you know, we're not going to come to hundred percent agreement on everything. So this is the way that we're going. And, mm-hmm. and when we have those particular things that are harder to agree on, that we still have a path forward to keep going. Mm-hmm. So to, lean into some some tough talk timing's everything so when do you know is the right time to either finesse the the change and you know create that that buy-in and then when's the right time to force that change <laughs> and how do you know that you picked the right timing um I would say, I mean, it's obviously always best to start with, with the finesse, you know, go start with, start with style, start Mm with, uh, with, um, you know, good talks, conversation, relationship building. Um, and I always, to me, I try two or three different sort of, I guess, angles is the way to say it. I, I hate the concept of sales and and manipulation and things like that. So to me, it's, I I always want to be genuine, but still, Okay, sure. what are, let me talk to you about it from this perspective, you know. Um, but if I find that a particular person or group or whatever has um, just a very specific mindset um, that they're just really not interested in, um, you know, negotiating or working with the other groups or things like that, um, 
I kind of feel for that, like, is, is it open to interpretation? Is it open to, to that, um, to that balance where we can find something they may not be happy with, but they'd be amenable to. Mm -hmm. And once I feel like it's just not open anymore, then that's when I will go to, okay, let's, let's have that, that ultimate decision maker decide what direction we're going to go with this. Um, and I think that's also critical to, to my role as well, is that as an integrator and an implementer, um, my priority is not what something may or may not look like, what a naming convention is, what the settings might be. Um, I know what those effects might be. I will give my professional opinion on how they may or may not affect a system or what issues they may run into down the road. But at the end of the day, as the integrator, uh, I want to listen to those decision makers and implement what, what they want to see, uh, regardless of whether it's what I feel is the best practice or not, is I, I want it to be their system. They're, they're paying for it. They're implementing it in the field. I am, that's my job is to assist them in it being as successful as possible. So uh, I'm kind of an advisor in the, the perspective of kind of this decision making they make the decisions and then I implement their decisions. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. What do you think is the the biggest trend kind of moving into the industry that's going to impact it over the next couple of years? Um, definitely the data integration. Uh, I know there's some, some really pretty, you know, fancy shiny objects out there with like AR and VR and, and automation and things like that. But I think right now we're actually kind of taking a step back into the foundational technology. Mm -hmm. And so the harvesting and transfer of data back and forth between the tools uh, that are used throughout the industry, I think is actually what's going to provide us the biggest leap forward. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot, of, a lot of time eliminated, a lot of rework, a lot of mistakes. Um, and that's really what I see a lot of technology companies trying to help us with too. And uh, as we get there, I think it's going to make a huge difference for, for all the different stakeholders in the process. Mm, I agree. It, it, it actually brings us back kind of full circle to the beginning of the conversation with taking the time at the front side to, to map out your plan and get your strategy in place. I think that's probably the biggest hurdle when it comes to data in construction right now is there's just so much data that you're able to collect, but few people have taken the time to say, what do I want this data to do? Like what, what answers am I looking for in this right. data? Yeah. The last few years we've talked a lot about, you know, data driven decisions and all this data that we can get. And um, now we're at the point where we're like, okay, well, we know that we can get all this data, but we've realized that the data that we've gotten so far is either garbage or we don't know what to do with it when we get it. Right. And so now that's the focus is hold on. Let's, let's take this data. Let's clean it up. Let's figure out how we can get something consistent. Let's figure out how we can use it to uh, streamline the processes, right? To, to keep from entering data multiple times, to keep errors from happening, things like that. And so as, as we start to push forward with that, I think that's gonna make a huge difference in starting to facilitate the conversations between the different tools that we use, whether it's between you know, the purchasing department and the project management department, or whether it's the conversation between the trade contractors and the general contractor. Mm -hmm. um, all of that data transfer is gonna be a huge help because it's, it's time saved of people having to transfer data back and forth. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I find it all very fascinating. 
And um, you know, if we don't have the data, really, we can't make any of those data-driven decisions. So as we work towards that, I think we're going to start to see some, some really cool stuff and some really interesting results of what good data looks like and, and shows us about our businesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. So if I could give you all construction power for a moment, you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in the industry, what would you pick? Oh my gosh. Um, well, like I said, being the data nerd that I am, um, it would probably be a uh, some sort of platform or something that helped with uh, data architecture and data governance for construction companies. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, because with all this, right, that's one of our biggest things that, that's, that's really uh, what we're all scrambling to do right now is, right, we know how to collect it, we know where it's showing up, but that transfer back and forth, we really need to get it cleaned up. And um, we've never really seen ourselves as data companies, even though we have all this data that comes in from every little thing that any person on a project does or any person at corporate does to assist a project, uh, we've never sat down and collected it. But if we sit down and collect it and organize it in a clean clean environment where we can translate that data usefully, uh, I mean, it, it is myriad useful to every department in every perspective. And we really need that, that data architecture and that data governance to do it because once we do that, we'll be, we'll be data companies. We'll all be data companies. We'll have massive amounts of information on everything it takes from how to build a building, how much it costs that are going to completely change, I think, how we perceive the construction industry. Yeah. Um, I think we really, um, as much as we know and as much as we're experts, I think there's going to be a lot of, of interesting points about exactly where money gets spent and how it gets spent and um, the time that it takes to do certain things versus other things. Uh, I think it'll be, it'll be a really, really fascinating time to see how all that data comes out. Yeah, for sure. During that, that whole answer, the, the mental image that I had in my head yeah. was just Nathan Wood standing up, like giving you a, a standing ovation <laughs> applause there. <laughs> like data, yes. <laughs> yes, <funny>. I, that's, <laughs> well, he and I talk on occasion too. And so I, I told him like, I'm, I'm super excited for this. You got to keep, you got to keep pushing, man. He's, he's very good at that. So. Yeah, that's awesome. So how do people find out more information and, and connect with you? Um, honestly, the best way is LinkedIn. I, I am, uh, have all my information there on LinkedIn and that is the easiest way. I am not gonna lie, I'm a bit of an older lady, so I don't have any of the, the fancy Twitters or Instagrams or any of those. Uh, I stick with LinkedIn or- um, It's a classic, you can't yeah, go wrong. Right, I can't go wrong with that. Um, and I'm always happy to chat with anybody about construction industry, any topics really. I'm just a big old construction nerd. Love it. Well, final question for you. What does innovation mean to you? Ooh, that is an excellent question. Um, to me, innovation means doing something that hasn't been done before in a way that um, benefits the, the population that you're working with. Um, we, we have this conversation actually frequently internally because um, innovation means very different things to different people depending upon your role within Cupertino. We're a very, very innovative company um, with the types of projects that we take on and the things that we build for our clients. All sorts of things, we get clients coming to us and saying, hey, can you build this? And it's something that nobody's ever built before. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the reasons I like working for Cupertino is that they, they take it on and they build it. They figure out a way to make that, that happen. That's, and that's one side of our company that is very innovative. Um, when it comes to 
tools and technology, that's kind of another side of that innovation uh, where depending upon what you adopt as a platform for a particular process or how you exchange your data, right? Do you already have arch data architecture and data governance? Um, do you have uh, API scripts in place to transfer data back and forth? Those types of things, those are both innovation. They're both going out there and exploring and doing something that hasn't been done before that, that's benefiting that industry or that group of people. Um, and there's, there's still more room, I think, for interpretation there. But uh, yeah, I, I think those are all different types of innovation that, that we work for. I, I focus my energy on the, the platform side of things. The, I think what a lot of people think of as traditional innovation, the, the, the shiny software and hardware and things that people want to use on their iPad or on their computer to make things easier. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely a lot of other things more, more traditional, especially in the construction industry that are still very innovative. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. I, I like the democratizing of innovation. Uh, well, I think it's, it has a role to have a, you know, dedicated team and department yeah. focusing on innovation. If you don't have it infused throughout really the entire culture of the company, you're missing out on a huge segment of growth potential for the company. It, it has to, it has to just be ingrained in the DNA. Absolutely. Yes. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for taking the time and, and joining the show. Really appreciated the conversation. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it immensely. And now it's time for the Todd takes from this episode. First take, data governance may sound like a small detail, boring and not super sexy. However, it actually makes a big impact. As with so many other things, you need to plan your work and strategy before you implement. Do not shortchange this step. Take two, part of your data strategy planning needs to include a robust understanding of who your data is actually for and why you are collecting it. When you are clear on these answers, it is much easier to communicate the why behind the what and gain greater buy-in. Final take, in order to successfully navigate change management, you need to know the person you're working with. Kelly detailed the value of creating an incremental approach to tech adoption and a full feedback loop. Also, she mentioned you need to give people time to use the process before making determinations on the effectiveness. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.